0: Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you want, please take out your Bibles now and turn in them in the middle of your Bible to Psalm number 15. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You can turn in the front portion of that to page 397 and you will be at Psalm 15. Have you noticed how citizenship has become a pivotal issue in our country? And part of what leads to that is the problem of illegal immigration, which raises all kinds of questions. Who qualifies as a true citizen? What should a true citizen or a regular citizen be required to do or to demonstrate in his life? What are the expectations of being a citizen of our country? And citizenship is also a pivotal issue in the spiritual realm. See, when we trust in the cross of Jesus Christ, regardless of where your earthly citizenship may be, you are declared at that moment a member of God's family, a citizen of heaven. Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. And in Ephesians 2.19, it says this, "'You are no longer strangers and aliens, "'but are fellow citizens with the saints "'and are of God's household.'" In fact, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you hold dual citizenship. I have the privilege of being an eighth-generation American, but this is my temporary home. My ultimate citizenship is in heaven. Which leads us to a few other questions. How are citizens of heaven to act? What character are citizens of heaven to display? What are the marks of someone who is a citizen of heaven? And all of that leads us to Psalm 15. Now, I'll remind you as we introduced this last week that the Psalms are the original oldies. The Psalms are an anthology, a collection of songs, sung to the accompaniment of an instrument. The music and the tunes are not preserved, but we still have the lyrics, and we call those lyrics the Psalms. And we come to Psalm 15, we come to a description of a citizen of Zion. And if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your rescuer from sin and judgment, that's a description of you, and that's a description of me, a citizen of Zion. And we pointed out that most likely this was a song sung on the way to Passover, on the big move to Passover on an annual basis. And remember, there was virtually no facilities to handle all these people coming into the town. And so David comes up with a question, and the idea behind the question is, in the first part of the psalm, is who gets invited to stay over at God's place when we come to Passover? Who gets invited to your place, God? And we are looking at a series we have entitled, Character Worth Building. It's all about the marks of a citizen of God's kingdom. It tells us the ways that we are to display our true citizenship, since our citizenship is in heaven. And I just want you to know, as we look at these things that are listed here, that these are things that excite the heart of God. These are traits that God admires in his children. And as we build these into our life, as we grow into these, by the power of God, we will become a better spouse, a better parent, a better student, a better employee, a better sibling, a better citizen of the United States of America, and a better citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's going to list 10 of these traits But I want you to remember, don't ever lose sight of the promise at the very end of the psalm in verse 5. He who does these things will never be shaken. Whatever circumstances, if you're practicing these in your life, you will have a sense of stability in your life. Even when difficulty and adversity comes, you will have a solid inner core, and you won't find yourself shaken to your foundation. And by the way, David would understand what that's like we looked at that last time, David could testify. He went through his own amount of adverse circumstances and difficulty in his life. Now, there are 10 aspects in Psalm 15, and they divide into three categories. In verse 2, he talks about some aspects in our personal life that we are to embrace. And then in verse 3, he's going to talk about some aspects in our interpersonal relationships that we are to avoid. And then in verses 4 and 5, he's going to talk about four things that should be present in our public practices. So here's the plan. We're going to look at verse 2 today. We're going to look at verse 3 next week. And then we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 in our final session in our study entitled Character Worth Building. So, if you have your Bibles out, I want to read the first two verses, and then I'm going to go back to the promise at the end of the psalm. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He who does these things will never be shaken. So what we want to do is look at three traits that we are to embrace in our personal life. And I'm going to give them to you as I see them defined, and you can jot these down if you want, and then we'll take a look at them one by one. The first trait is that in our personal life, we make integrity a priority. He who is a citizen of heaven makes integrity a priority. And then number two, he who is a citizen of heaven in his personal life follows God's standards And then number three, he who is a citizen of heaven in his personal life maintains an honest heart. So those are the three things we're going to look at. And this is exciting to me because David takes his time to lay this out for us. Let's learn what he has to tell us. The first thing that a citizen of Zion, a citizen of heaven does in his personal life is that he or she makes integrity a priority. The wording in the New American Standard in Psalm 15 is, he walks with integrity. In other words, there is a priority given in our life to sincerity, to consistency, to trustworthiness. I know many of us have never heard of Frank Gabeline. But Frank Gabeline was one of the co-founders of Christianity Today magazine. But he's maybe more well-known for being the founder of the Stony Brook School in Long Island, New York. He founded that school back in 1922. The Stony Brook School is a private college preparatory school. And they have a motto at Stony Brook School. And that motto is character before career. Character before career career. It isn't, you know, you think about that, man, that's a motto that we need people living by today. We have a problem with that in our culture. Now, Frank Gabeline was not a perfect guy. He had a lot of flaws. And yet in his life, he made a priority of integrity. I want you to listen to what his daughter Gretchen wrote. She said, long before I knew how to spell the word or even what it meant, I realized my father was a man of integrity. Later, I would learn phrases like Christian commitment and devotion to duty. But from my earliest years, I simply knew that Frank Gableine rang true. What a testimony that his life rang true. And that is what is to be true of someone who is a citizen of heaven, that they walk with integrity, that their life rings true. I don't know where I first heard it, but many years ago, I heard a definition of integrity. It said this, integrity is what you are when no one is watching. And I would like to just shift that slightly to say this, integrity is what you are when only God is watching. Because, you see, there's never a time when no one is watching. Integrity is what we are when only God is watching us. And, you know, we live in a society. Oh, it's programmed deep into society, which tells us what we need to do, especially if you're going to get along and get ahead, is you need to start cutting corners. You need to take some shortcuts. Take the easy way and you'll get there faster. And that kind of mentality begins to develop in our thinking and we start thinking this way. Well, I could do that. No one will know. If you ever have a chance to go to Kentucky, you might want to visit a little town in Corbin, Kentucky, named Corbin, Kentucky, it's in the southeastern corner of Kentucky. And when you go to Corbin, Kentucky, you're going to find there an original restaurant from the 1930s. It's more a museum today than it is any sort of a restaurant. It's the original restaurant of a guy by the name of Colonel Harlan Sanders. And if you study Harlan Sanders' life, you'll will, you will find that it was a life of ups and downs And, of course, eventually he founded the Kentucky Fried Chicken Chain, which, I don't know if you know it or not, is the most popular chicken restaurant chain in the entire world. Some 12 million people eat there every day in 109 countries. Pretty incredible. But in that original restaurant, on a wall there, is a credo that Harlan Sanders operated by from the very beginning. And it's called, entitled, The Hard Way. And this is what it says. It is comparatively easy to prosper by trickery, the violation of confidence, oppression of the weak, cutting corners, and all those methods we are so prone to condone as business shrewdness. It is difficult to prosper by the keeping of promises, the deliverance of value and goods and services, denouncing the so called shrewdness with sound merit and good ethics. The easy way is efficacious and speedy, the hard way is arduous and long. But as the clock ticks away, the easy way becomes harder. And the hard way becomes easier. As the calendar records the years, it becomes increasingly evident that the easy way rests upon a hazardous foundation of shifting sands, whereas the hard way builds solidly a foundation of confidence that cannot be swept away. A citizen of heaven David says, makes integrity a priority. It may not be the easy way, but over time, integrity breeds benefits. Did you know that the Bible tells us that? Did you know that in the Scripture, it actually delineates the benefits of those who practice integrity? I just want to show you a few of those. The Bible tells us that the one who has integrity as a priority, number one, enjoys the freedom of a clear conscience. Go to your Bibles to the right, to the book of Proverbs, and I want you to notice Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 9. The one who makes integrity a priority enjoys the freedom of a clear conscience. Chapter 10 of Proverbs verse 9. It says, He who walks in integrity walks securely. But he who perverts his ways will be found out. What's he saying? He's saying that when you practice integrity, you have the freedom of a clear conscience. You don't have to be worrying about is someone gonna find out, is someone gonna see, is someone gonna discover? You just have the freedom of living with a clear conscience. The Bible tells us that one who makes integrity a priority passes blessing on to his children. We see that also in Proverbs. You can flip over to chapter 20 and verse 7. Now, some of you are younger and you're thinking, well, I'm not even married. Uh, Why am I worrying about that? Well, it'll all happen, but it's it's a wonderful thing to know. That if you make integrity a priority, you pass blessing on to your children. Notice chapter 20, verse 7, it says, A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. And I think of Gretchen Gableine, thinking of her father. Her father was a model worthy of imitation. And it brings great blessing down the line as we make integrity a priority. How about this one? He who makes integrity a priority attracts extra blessing from God. Have you ever thought about that? Notice Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Psalm 84. And I want you to notice about the in verse 11. In the middle part of it, it says, if you're there at Psalm 84, the Lord gives grace and glory. And here we go. Notice this next phrase. No good thing does he withhold. From whom? From those who walk uprightly. Those who walk uprightly. Those literally, it says in the original, with integrity. Those with Integrity. God doesn't withhold anything from them. They attract extra blessing from God. And then I want you to see, fourthly, those who make integrity a priority, someone who does that pleases the heart of God. And you can turn, if you want, to 1 Chronicles twenty nine seventeen. I want to read it to you, though, out of the NIV. It says this, I know, my God, that you test the heart. And then it says this, and are pleased with integrity. I know, my God, that you test the heart of people, and you are pleased with integrity. The New American Standard there translates that, you delight in uprightness. It's a very vivid verb in the original language. It's the word racha. and racha means to enjoy something to take great pleasure in something, to delight in something. The very same word, racha, is used in Isaiah 42.1 where the heavenly father is talking about his son, the Messiah. And he says to the Messiah, when I look at you, it's racha. I take pleasure in you. I delight in you. And that's what happens when we practice integrity. It pleases the heart of God. Those of you who are parents understand really how that would be because when you have children and you know that they live a certain way and they make choices a certain way, you feel racha. You feel delight in all of that. And so does God when we make integrity a priority. I want to ask you today, does your life ring true? Does your life ring true? Are you one way when you know you're being watched and another way when you think you're not being watched? God wants us all to understand when it comes to representing him on this planet, He basically wants to say to us, don't default to the easy way. Oh, I know everybody else is doing that. But when you're at school and you're at work, don't default to the easy way. You see, a citizen of Zion, a citizen of heaven in his personal life, first, this is character worth building, makes integrity a priority. Secondly, we want to see, when we talk about character worth building, someone who is a citizen of heaven follows God's Standards. Go back to Psalm 15. And in the New American Standard, it says, He works righteousness. The New Living Translation talks about those who do what is right. This is a person who's committed to do the right thing. I had to chuckle when I was reading the story of a college student who came back to her apartment, you know, and she. She had these books and these papers, and she just slammed them on the kitchen table, and she said, I've had it. I've got so much homework to do. I think I'm going to hire someone to take my final exam. And a roommate looked over at her sympathetically, and she said, what course is it in? And she said, ethics. (laughs) It's just so easy to think, I don't want to keep doing what's right anymore what does this idea of following God's standards look like in real life? If we're going to follow God's standards, if we're going to work righteousness, what does it actually look like? Well, one who is following God's standards and one who is doing what is right will turn the channel when a raunchy program comes on, even though no one else is there. Someone who follows God's standards and works righteousness will decline the opportunity to cheat, even though they know other people are doing it. Someone who follows God's standards and works righteousness will turn away from an attractive co-worker who is flirting with you despite the fact that they know that you are married. Someone who follows God's standards and works righteousness will say no to the invite to the big party when they know that drugs are going to be present there. Someone who follows God's standards and works righteousness will continue to work on and continue to invest in their marriage, even though their emotions aren't in it. Someone who follows God's standards and works righteousness will persevere as a parent of a special needs child, even though they're getting discouraged. Someone who follows God's standards and works righteousness will stay pure when the boyfriend or the girlfriend is pushing you to go all the way, even if it means a potential breakup in the relationship. You see, it's very, very important that we realize that as a citizen of the kingdom, we're to follow God's standards. Now, I want to just share with you because we want to be realistic and honest about it. You know, we have this very common tendency. I see it in my own life, and I, I know that you've experienced this. And here's the common tendency we have when it comes to right and wrong and doing what is right. We have this tendency to get as close to the line between right and wrong as we can. You see a lot of couples struggling with that in dating We like to get as close to the line between right and wrong as we can, and we sort of like to dance on the edges, you know. Someone said this, many of us go through life with chalk on our toes from standing too close to the line between right and wrong. And that's so true. Could it be that you have chalk on your toes this morning? See, God desires us to live a chalk-free life. But we're not so close to the line that we're getting chalk on our toes. See, someone who is a citizen of heaven, character worth building in their personal life, number one, makes integrity a priority. Number two, follows God's standards. Number three, maintains an honest heart. They maintain an honest heart. If you look at Psalm 15, it says there in the New American Standard, and speaks truth in his heart. Now, I want to remind you that in the Bible, the heart is our inner core. It is the center of our will and our intellect and our emotions. It's the deepest part of our personhood. It means at the core We're going to speak truth, we're gonna be honest. You know, the heart is the source of the words that come out of our mouth. Luke 6.45 tells us that. The mouth speaks that which fills the heart. The heart is the source of our thoughts and the source of our actions. Matthew 15.19 tells us that. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. And deeds It is the deepest part of our personhood, our heart. And that's why in Proverbs 4:23 it says, "Guard your heart." See how that works? That's where the battle is, what goes on in our heart. Our speech comes from that. Our thoughts and our actions come from that. So he who is a citizen of heaven. Maintains an honest heart. Now, what does that really mean? Well, it means a number of things. It, it means partly that you don't overestimate yourself. I've always liked Romans 12:3. It says you should not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And there's a lot of people running around who, who need to read that verse a little more carefully. And what always has helped me there when I'm trying to think, well, I don't want to think more highly of myself than I ought to think. I always just remember 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it says this, what do you have that you did not receive? Okay, you're going to get excited about your athletic ability. You receive that as a gift. You're excited about your mental ability, your good looks, or whatever it may be. Everything you have is a gift from God. So we don't overestimate ourselves. But on the other hand, if we're going to maintain an honest heart, we don't underestimate ourselves. You know, it says there in Romans 12 that we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but we also need to remember this part of the argument of Romans 12 is each one of us has been gifted by God. Don't sit around and say, I've got nothing to offer anybody. I am a fairly worthless person. Wait a second. God gave you spiritual gifts and abilities. And each one of us has the Spirit of God, if we know Jesus Christ personally, who lives inside of us. And he is there to empower us. He is God. He is there to enable us. In other words, someone who maintains an honest heart believes that God desires to work in and through him. Don't sell yourself short. He Who is a citizen of heaven maintains an honest heart. That means there's no hidden agendas. It means there's no deception going on. It means we don't lie to ourselves or lie to other people. We don't find ourselves having to cover for ourselves to kind of make up more stories because we've made up other stories. Have you ever thought about why do people lie? It's a great thing to ask yourself, why do people lie? Well, one of the reasons why we lie is to puff ourselves up. You've heard about some of these politicians, you know, who would lie about their military background. What are they trying to do? They're trying to make themselves look better to other people. We lie to avoid responsibility, which is tied to the fact we lie in order to avoid consequences. Who did that? Not me. I don't want to be responsible. I don't want any consequences. How many people have ever been to Universal Studios? Okay, a number of you have. You know, you go there and you go to stage lots. And really, what stage lots are, they look like a city. But it's really just a facade. There's really not a house there, it just sort of looks like a house. The appearances of a house. But the internal reality of a house isn't really there at all. In fact, in in the movies, the hope is that it would look like that and no one would look any closer to find out there's really no city there when they're filming this, just out on the street with facades there. And what it's saying is that that someone who is a citizen of Zion maintains an honest heart. There's no facades. Now, again, there's benefits from that. David understood this. There's benefits. You see, someone who doesn't have facades can experience freedom from being an image manager. See, when you're an image manager, you have to be careful about what people see and find out about. You have to wear a mask. You have to maintain the facade. I'm super spiritual. We have to exaggerate our accomplishments. See, uh, that, that just takes energy to do that. Someone who maintains an honest heart will also experience freedom from guilt. I want you to look over at Psalm 32 for a moment. We underestimate this in life. Someone who maintains an honest heart experiences freedom from guilt. And David knew what it was like to battle guilt. In Psalm 32, I want you to notice verses 3 and 4. David says there, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day, God, your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was drained away as with the fever of the heat of summer. He knew what it was like to have guilt in his life. It ate him up. But, you know, he also knew what to do with that. In verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, God. I confessed it. My iniquity, I didn't hide anymore. I got open with God about it. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then notice what happens when we do that. And you forgave You forgave the guilt of my sins. He who maintains a good heart, an honest heart where there are no facades, also experiences freedom from consequences. You see, when we don't maintain an honest heart, eventually consequences will come our way. For example... Trenton and Hicks tell the story of James. James just happened to be walking by the fax machine at his sales office one day when a fax rumbled in, and no one was around when he picked up the page and he read it. And no one saw him go quickly to the copy machine and make his own copy before he replaced the original back in the fax machine. The paper he held can... Obtained a red-hot lead on a lucrative piece of real estate that had just come on the market. It was addressed, though, to another agent in the office. But armed with this inside information, James called one of his own clients and in no time had beat his unsuspecting office partner to the great prize. Shrewd business tactics, as some might say. Just another example of you snooze, you lose. Well, in reality, it was flat-out thievery, and although James had been sure that no one had seen him remove the facts from the machine, he didn't know that someone watched him put it back. When confronted about it later, he lied. And that's why they froze the files in his office, and a careful search turned up the copy that he had made of the facts, which led to his dismissal, a major lawsuit, an utter disgrace, in his life, you see, he who maintains an honest heart experiences freedom from consequences. Like the story of Richard, who was an executive for a Dallas computer firm and had to make a quick two day trip to Los Angeles. And his daughter, Deborah, was attending college out there in Southern California, but he got there so late he wasn't able to give her a phone call telling her he was there in town. He went out to grab supper in the hotel restaurant, and while he was eating in the hotel restaurant, an attractive woman walked by and just flipped a little card on his table, and he put it in his pocket. When he got back to his room, he took out the card from his shirt pocket, and he began to to think. I've seen it on TV. I've seen it in the movies. I've read about it. What would it be like to have sex with another woman just this once? No one will know. So he dialed the number, and in a few moments, he heard high heels clicking down the hall and a knock on the door. And opening the door, he gasped, for his daughter, Deborah, stood before him. He ended up being blackmailed by his daughter, who was threatening to tell her mom about her father's one-night stand. He who maintains an honest heart experiences freedom from consequences. And again, King David knew what he was talking about. He knew what it was like to experience the pain of consequences and to have regrets. Someone who is a citizen of the kingdom in his personal life, makes integrity a priority, follows God's standards, and maintains an honest heart. These are great life lessons. What really David is saying to us is we need to be who we've been called to be. Now, I want to talk about some life response that I think God would have us to have today. Two things. Number one, confess. Number two, express. What do I mean by that? Well, it may very well be that the Spirit of God right now is putting a finger on something that we need to confess to God. God is telling us don't default to the easy way, and maybe some of us have been. Maybe some of us have chalk on our toes. Maybe you've even stepped over the line, not just having chalk on your toes. And if all of that is true, God wants us to confess, to go to him and agree that what we've done is wrong, and then having confessed that to experience forgiveness before him. The second thing, by way of life response, is to profess Where do we find the light that will help us to keep an honest heart? Where do we find God's standards? We find them, of course, in Scripture. And I want to challenge you to do something. Turn with me real quickly to Psalm 119, one of those acrostic psalms. And I want you to just look at a couple of verses, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever taken Scripture and prayed it back to God? It's a great thing to do. And I want you to think about taking Psalm 119 this week and verses 33 to 37 and praying them back to God and to say to God, these verses are what the longing of my soul is to be in my spiritual life. Just pray back to God what it says, verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Will you this week pray that back to God? Will you profess back to God, that is my heart, God? And if you will do that, I want to tell you something. He will honor it. He will honor it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the Word of God. We thank you for everything we're learning from David. We're learning so much about character that is worth building. We know we're not fully there yet. Nobody has arrived. But we would pray that we would be excited about building these things by the power of God into our life, and that we would know what it is like to know that he who does these things will never be shaken. May we honor you with our choices and with our life,